Welcome back to the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I'm an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group and the editor and publisher of theweeklydriver.com. My colleague and friend, as always, is Bruce Aldridge. And today we have a guest, uh, John Lamb, who I think has uh, probably among the most uh, uh, longevity of anybody I've ever spoken to in the automotive industry. He's been a photographer for years and years and years for many of the major automotive magazines. And um, he also has, uh, the reason we're speaking today, he has a new book uh, out. And uh, welcome to our podcast. Uh, John, how are you today? I'm fine. And what a nice way of calling me old. <laughs> well, uh, Bruce is in his early 60s and so am I. I don't know how old you are, but um, uh, tell us uh, the name of your new book. And, and uh, with your longevity in the industry, why have you decided to, to do this book at this time? And mainly because of the, the, the way in which the uh, exotic car world is sort of sort of quickly ramping up. Um, you know, it used to be there was Ferrari and Lamborghini and, and you know, Maserati and then Pagani got involved. And now, of course, there's a whole wonderful lineup of great cars from uh, McLaren, of course, still with Aston Martin. Uh, I was at the, uh, the Quail Lodge, I was flabbergasted to see that somebody in Italy is actually creating an ATS exotic car. Now, I don't know if you know about, know about ATS. They were in the early 60s. Phil Hill raced their Grand Prix car, and they they had some really cool-looking exotic cars back in the 60s, but they hadn't been around since then. They popped up. There are an electric car, exotic car being made in Croatia. So all of a sudden, um, they're everywhere, and they're all very cool. They're all very expensive. Uh, what type of buyers are buying these cars that are like a million-plus? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And uh, obviously, people with a lot of money, or have or at least able to claim to a dealership, they have a lot of money. Um, they're, they tend to be quite young, um, and they tend to be very enthusiastic. Uh, obviously, yes, they be buying, they be buying, uh, you know, Chevys. Um, I, I, I don't know if they don't know about the demographics because it tends to change so much. You, you see, uh, we have a wonderful cars and coffee here in San Clemente. We get Lamborghinis, and we get. Um, <laughs> I see. But, but you see a lot of casual enthusiasts. They're great, great people to talk to. But many of these cars are sold. They're much like I would say, call it art, right? That are never driven. Oh, absolutely. Um, there are people uh, who you know tuck them away. There are people who want to have one of, example of everything. There's a gentleman in in uh, San or L.A. who has uh, Ferraris, and he I, I understand he really drives them. He loves to look at them. Well, you know, to each their own. Uh, interestingly enough, on top of all that, these days, um, driving them uh, is quite an experience. I'm actually, McLaren is loaning me a car this weekend to take, take my grandson to cars and coffee. My grandson doesn't know about it. It's going to be very cool when I pull up in this McLaren. Oh, you but, bet. Um, oh, he, he's gonna, he has draws in the drop. Right <laughs> but, what, but what's interesting is that these cars are so capable now and so fast uh, you'd better be a darn good driver on a racetrack to really exercise them. There, as, as you probably read, there was an example not long ago of a guy who bought, I believe it was a McLaren, 
uh, on Friday, took it to Cars and Coffee on Saturday, and destroyed it, leaving Cars and Coffee. So they got to be careful. They're very, very potent. Yeah, we went to uh, the Quail, uh, since you mentioned that, um, a couple of years ago, and we saw, uh, for me, it was, I think, the third or fourth time I've been there, and we saw some real uh, Pagani. Is that how you say it? Pagani? Pagani. And there was a whole selection of those there. And I'd never, truth be told, I'd never seen one before. And I saw more in one day than than a lot of people will ever see. And those are fantastic. And the McLarens, I've seen more. I've seen even the Sacramento area. I've seen a few uh, in recent times. And um, it, it, it does seem to be that there's a, an influx. Maybe that maybe these people are under 30 and they're all Silicon Valley uh, millionaires. And um, it's it's a, t- a toy collection in a way for them. But um, I think yep. I think that you're right that I see more and more exotic car rental companies too, where people who have money may go to Las Vegas or some other location and and rent uh, a Bugatti or a, a McLaren or a, you know whatever it might be uh, for the day. So th- those kind of car companies are seem to be um, flourishing as well. You're absolutely right about Silicon Valley. Uh, Bill Gates kind of led the way um, back in. I, I don't have the time exactly, but it would have been the early 90s. Uh, it was illegal to bring a 959 Porsche into the U.S. Um, and somehow or other, a Gates brought one in. Uh, you could bring that car, but you could never drive it. And there was, he managed to put together a law, some of it uh, kind of called the Bill Gates Law, that uh, began to make these cars uh, drivable on the street. Because yeah, they had to need emissions, yada, yada, yada. But, uh, but Gates was led the way. Trust me, he was a, he was a hero. I remember that they used to call them gray market cars. They'd somehow bring them in and then get them through the Department of Transportation, get them uh, so you could you could drive them. Yeah, but they didn't drive very well. <laughs> well, only not just because. Okay, to kind of explain, there was no way between electronics at the time and all the various ways you can now make those cars work. It wasn't available then. It's been learned since then. Uh, Bruce Canepa not only brings a 959 for the, I, he's got the well over 600 horsepower now, and they're all dead legal. Uh, in fact, there's a whole, um, there, there's a, a number of cars that, uh, exotic cars, Ferrari, uh, Ferraris from the uh, from the 80s, et cetera, that weren't very good cars when we when they were new because they Ferrari just not figured out how to make them work. Uh, it was actually with the NSX that we opened up that field. I'll explain that in a minute. But, um, and a lot of those cars sort of just sat on the market for years and years and years, and they weren't worth a lot of money. These days, their, their values are going up because there are now ways to make those cars work between modern electronics, uh, after, after treatment systems, yada, yada, yada. Um, they've gotten very, very good cars. And so, as I said, their value is going up, and they're nicely drivable these days. The yep. NSX is interesting because a lot of those cars weren't very good, as I said. And, um, when the NSX, first NSX came out, all of a sudden we had an exotic car that was fast, it was clean, it had good air conditioning, it had everything. And it's a very famous story about Luca de Montezuma, who had just taken over for a senior to French journalist. What is so wonderful about the NSX, because the Acura or Honda, or Souza Honda here, was just, you know, out selling Ferrari, getting road tests, wonders, you know, people loved it. That guy looked at him and said, you know, Ferrari to make a very nice, fast car, a very pretty car, but you can't make a cigarette later. <laughs> and the point being that they weren't complete cars. They were, they were just, you know, and after that, the 355, which was the first post-NSX Ferrari, 
was a much better car than it had before. What do you think about these uh, Paganis and Conan Sig and some of these other real low production? Are they fully developed cars? Do you think in your in your mind? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I've known Horacio Pagani since he first started, um, which is gosh in the '90s sometime. A very interesting guy. Came from Argentina, went to work for Lamborghini, then went off and uh, uh, began to build his own car and. Fangio was still alive, the great race driver, and he is, they were very close because they're both are from Argentina. He put him in touch with Mercedes, but I mean, still uses Mercedes engines, very close to Mercedes. He's a neat guy. Those cars are very, very well developed. He was Koenigsegg, and by the way, he was at the, the Coil this year. Oh. They had quite a clip. This year, this year, he was actually there. Shaved head and all. Quite an impressive looking man. <laughs> John, um, and, uh, changing uh, directions just a little bit here. Journalistically, um, as, as a journalist, I've been in a lot of press rooms where basically in the cycling world, a photographer will come in and they've taken thousands of images and an editor wants five or six for, for daily journalism or maybe they want 20 for a, a, a photo shoot out for a magazine. But in, in your world, how did you, what was the process like of all the images you must have taken through the years uh, for either this book or other books? What is the process like to whittle down I'm assuming thousands of images to put, I think you have 240 or 250 in the, in the, in the current book. What is that like? Uh, I probably have, um, I have 78 file cabinet drawers full of images and a bunch of hard drives. Um, it's a pain in the back to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, particularly um, these days with digital, it's so much easier mechanically and technically. It's still just as difficult to take a good picture as before. But in terms of, of film speeds, as we used to call them, yes. in terms of the stuff you can do, it is so much easier. And, and you can be so much more inventive than you could have been. Um, back then, you, you know, you'd have to, just even the film process was a pain in the neck. Um, so it, it, when you're doing a book like this, it's, it's just great fun. I mean, I mean, I'll go in there, I have a slide room, I, and I'll go in there and put on some classical music and just open up the doors and go, okay, where are we going to go next? And... Um, you know, my light cable's on, and uh, then I scan this up, you know, if it's film. Um, luckily, I've been shooting digital since about 2000, seriously, since about 2003, um, when we finally had some decent cameras. Um, but before that, oh, man, it, I was scanning this morning, trying to put together stuff for the website I work for, on a Ferrari Daytona from, uh, from Daytona back in uh, 1979. <laughs> John, you've been uh, photographing cars for... A number of years. What are some basic tips that you could give our listeners to, to take a good photograph of vehicles? I mean, if they're at, if they're at a car event, if they they don't have the press credentials that you would have, but if you're just the general public, what? Yeah, as Bruce said, can you take a decent photo if you're in the grandstands, or uh, what? What are your ideas in that in that area? Well, that's a that's a very good question. I'm also on the committee that uh, that runs the uh, Lewis Monterey Motorsports Reunion. At, uh, at Pebble, during the Pebble Beach Week. Yes. And, and one of the things we always like to keep in mind is what we call the iPhone factor. And we always preach that to people who are putting up displays. Um, most people will take pictures of their, you know, what you really want to do is make sure people go home with memories. And not just memories in their head, but memories in their phone. So you got to allow for the iPhone. Um, you know, make sure your display is open, make sure it's easy to see, don't have a backlit, yada, yada, yada. If you're taking a serious photograph of a car, as good as iPhones are, and they're very, very good these days, of course, you need you kind of need a camera. 
you need to be long, you need a, the standard normal lens or the standard normal full-size sensor, as it was a 35-millimeter film, is a 50-millimeter lens. Uh, you really need, to make a good shot of a car, you need about an 85-millimeter telephoto or longer to really make it work. Um, even longer, I shoot with this. I shoot with a 600. Uh, yeah, I, I shoot all the way from um, oh, about 105 to 600 millimeters um, to try and make things work. If you're shooting a race, you need press credentials. It's really tough. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, you couldn't get press credentials until you're 21. When I used to shoot races, you know, behind the fence of Road America, places like that. That's great. That's right. That's right. Um, I, I'm going to another journalistic a- angle here. That's my background, so I'm, I have some interest. Um, when you worked for these different publications uh, through the years, was there a difference? I'm assuming there was of what an editor or editors liked um, working for one publication or the next. Was there some, um, for lack of a word, better word, bias towards certain manufacturers, or could you give us kind of a, an update on what those publications were like back in the day? Yes. Um, that is, that's absolutely sick and strong. You know, that, yes. It's, it's kind of tough when a company has been making crap cars for oh, three years. All of a sudden, creates a brand new, really good one. They've got to keep it all in perspective, perspective, perspective. Yes. Um, I spent my first six years working for um, Motor Trend magazine. And yes. I was a road and truck for 37 years. Um, and then I was with uh, automobile or car driver for a couple of years and then automobile for a couple of years. Now I'm with, now I'm with the Revs Institute. In Naples, Florida, which is a wonderful place. Yes. If anybody's ever, if anybody's ever in Naples, Florida, they've got to go to the Revs Institute. You'll see everything from 1886, uh, yeah, sorry, 1896 to um, the brand new stuff. You'll see the very first Ferrari race car in America. You'll see British Canadian and race cars, and then you'll see every important example of every turbocharged Porsche race car. Period. So anyway. Wow. Um, Yes. And it's probably more and more important. Um, uh, that got blended in. Uh, Road and track was always a little more conservative when it came to, for initially, when it came to photography. Car and driver uh, was the, well, when it came to cool photography, particularly in the 60s and 70s, car and driver was the place to go. Um, then everybody sort of caught up and changed. Things have evolved dramatically from that standpoint. Now, of course, um, uh, uh, Angus McKenzie, who's a, a big league of motor trends, an old friend of mine, and I said, out of curiosity, in this day and age, when you put up images, I, you put up like 100 images sometimes. Yes. Said, yeah, people come through them. And they, I'm, I was sort of dumbfounded here. That, I tend to look at 25 to 30 at the most. But he said, we'll just put them all up. And he said, you'd be surprised how many people will go through the entire collection. So, you know, that's that's how things, things are changed dramatically. Yes. Also, a lot of the photos that we did from automakers, um, I hate to put it this way, but they're, they're kind of fake. In other words, they're able to use software to create images that you really couldn't get with a camera. Yes, I understand that, yes. I see I those the, they're those ones that make the car that they're in motion, but actually they're yeah. not in motion. No, there's a, there's a, I forgot the name of the software because I refuse to use it, but you go in and you, you set certain points up around the car, which has been sitting still, and then it will actually make the speed line, and it will actually sort of spin the wheels. 
So the wheels are actually moving at roughly the same rate as the car should be going. So it, it's, 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 from a technical standpoint, it's fascinating. It's also cheap. It's but, I agree. I, I have a, a couple of acquaintances um, in my career as a reporter on the newspaper side. I, I could rattle off a few names of people who eventually were caught and were uh, dismissed for um, yep. their images and, and doing things to the images that, that were not right. And uh, it took a while, but uh, even a couple of guys here in Sacramento were fired for those, for those offenses and uh, never, <laughs> just never a good thing. And I can remember years ago in a whole different area when the O.J. Simpson um, situation was happening that the photographer for time uh, got in quite a bit of trouble for putting like a five o'clock shadow on the image he took and making him look more sinister. And, and he got called out. And I, I don't know if he was dismissed for that, but I remember it happened. The Weekly Driver podcast gets support from AmericanMuscle.com, your late model Mustang and F-150 authority, bringing you the hottest products and top-notch customer service for over a decade. No one makes it easier to modify your ride. Visit AmericanMuscle.com today. Yeah, there was a big stink at the LA Times about four or five years ago over, over an image that were, they actually sliced two images together. Um, and, uh, you know, fair enough, you can't do that. No. You know, you know, you, you, I do go in, um, uh, you know, to me, the important thing is that the image uh, recreates what the human eye can see. And film and cameras can't always do that without a little help with software. But but to enhance it, you know, I, I want some people talk about, about uh, photographs being enhanced. Um, if you want to see the guy who was the expert at that, it was Ansel Adams. Um, I saw an exhibit once of one of his famous photographs and all the steps along the way that he did in the darkroom, what we used to call dodging and burning. Yes, I remember that. Create the final image, and the image he took is not much like the image that he presented, and the one he presented was absolutely sensational. So, you know, um, who's good and bad in this stuff? And who's who are the heroes? Who are the villains? That's that's a good that's point. Sure. That's right. So we're going to put you on the spot here, John. You've been around for a long time. Um, if if you care to share, tell us about the cars you have owned or currently own. Well, um, I had I, I'm a journalist, so I can't afford to buy a lot of cars. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning that. I, I, I understand that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've, always, I've always left Volvo for the PD544 that my wife had when I was in Vietnam that lasted through a winter, Wisconsin, all winter without even coffee. Uh, I've had a couple out of a Volvo turbo wagon, which I love. Um, but then I had enough kids that minivans got to be a problem. However, in a, about 1985 or 86, Larry Crane, who worked for Road Track at the time, had to sell his launch, his 1955 Alonso Aurelia B20, and I bought it from him. And um, I owned it for some 30 years. The B20 is a very interesting car. Most people in America don't know anything about it, um, but it had the first production V6 engine. Uh, it was all, which was all aluminum. It had a crankshaft speed drive shaft, uh, a rear-mounted transmission, a Dion rear suspension, and the classic Alonso sliding to the front suspension. Uh, the body was just beautiful. They were built by Pinotarina, and they are legendary cars in Europe. And uh, it was 1952, I believe it was. One of them finished second overall in the Milan Union, the Iger Ferrari, because of the range that cars handled so beautifully. Now, I loved it. Nobody here knew squat about it. Uh, I stayed on the California Milan Rally once, and that guy said, what's that? I said, that's a launch. He said, I thought that was the meal that the Italians did, which in breakfast and 
did know. I said, no, no, that's a bummer. But anyway, so I owned it until four years ago, and I'd had the engine rebuilt, and I had reached the point where um, I wasn't getting a chance to use it very much. So Jim Farley, who's about the number two guy at Ford, um, has long been a launcher fan. We've talked about it. So I told it to Jim. He's had it since had it restored, and he, the guy's did a wonderful job. It's just beautiful now. I took the funds and bought a, a 911 Carrera. Uh, so I have a 911 Carrera that I love. And, beautiful. Uh, yeah, yeah. Drive it, drive it on a regular basis. Go to cars and coffee with my grandson. I've got thirty-four thousand miles on four years. I just, you know, to me, to me, you know, if, if you were to ask the journalists in our business, um, without getting into a wacko expense rates out of, and I, don't, I mean, wacko don't mean fair from a price standpoint. Yes. Um, you you probably find that I'll bet seventy percent of them would get nine would get a nine eleven of some sort of portion, but you know, either that or a Boxster. Yeah, they're a good, a good everyday driver that you can get repaired, and they're 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 long lasting, and uh, they hold their value for sure. And now, they have automatic trans satellite radio and heated cool seats. Yeah, it's important that, as we get older, I think. Yes, that Lancia now just people don't know what that is. It's it, it's that's a division of Fiat, right? Yeah. So a, Fiat uh, quality. If you had to, uh, somebody was going to give you a car, what, what would you uh, take amongst, amongst your uh, supercars, I think? What brand wow. or, or a car? We'll pick three then. What are your top three? Mm-hmm. I was thinking you'd say that. Yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah, he's a neat guy, an old friend. And um, hmm, hmm, number three. Um, wow, that is tough. That, that must, you know, my, my friend will be an Aston Martin. Uh, the current Astons are so cool. And, and they are. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it might be an Aston. I'd like to have one as well. That would be my number one, I think. Um, of course, Porsche makes nice stuff too. Yes, they do. Um, hey, uh, John, in another area um, through the years, I'm sure you've met, you've, you've mentioned a few people you've met and have relationships with. I think most people uh, these days know that there are some celebrities who have uh, great collections. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld with his wonderful show that he has with um, comedians in cars getting coffee. And, and of course, Jay Leno. And I, I believe you have a relationship with, with Jay. And um, what can you share with us about, uh, about Jay and um, I've met him superficially at, at uh, the Quail a couple of times, sat at the same table and had lunch, and he just seems like a real down-to-earth guy with his uh, denim shirt and his denim jeans, and 
you know, a, a regular guy. Is that is that accurate? Oh yeah, um, I've, I've been, um, I started off with photographing for pop mechanics. I don't shoot them much anymore, but I shot them for years and years. I shot them so long ago that he actually had some black hair left. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's great. So that's but he is uh, a genuine car lover, and he um, and he, he he does it in such a nice way. I mean, there's nothing believing enough ostentatious about what he does. And when you look at his collection, yes. it's full of cars nobody else knows anything about. Um, uh, he has a, a, you know, has things like Saabs and, and, uh, and Volvo's in there. He has a, he has a, a, a Mazda Cosmo. Um, he has a wonderful, one of my favorite cars in his collection is a, one, a, a Studebaker used to distribute Mercedes-Benz in the U.S. And they did a sort of a Studebaker Mercedes prototype which never went into production. But he's got that. He has the, um, and, and because of who he is, he gets these really wonderful cars. Um, back in the early, would it be early mid eighties, um, when um, people were looking at different types of propulsion systems, General Motors actually built a steam-powered Pontiac Grand Prix. Um, Jay has that. Um, he also has a uh, Chrysler Turbine car. So he has all the he has all the things that you walk in the station and you go, so there's one. I've never seen one of those before. That's great. And he likes mechanical stuff. And he, sure. and he has his motorcycles, too. I, I read a recent story that he has a, a guest column in, in Haggerty's uh, magazine, and he did a column about um, his love of his motorcycles and taking apart the engines. And, and I, I'm not a motorcycle guy, but I read that, and I be, kind of became a motorcycle guy because it was such an interesting story, the way he put that together with his, his, his love for, for the engines on, on motorcycles as well. I love motorcycles, but I don't ride them. But I must say that maybe the one of the most enjoyable times I've ever had with an internal combustion machine was a year when Phil Hill, was a, who was a dear friend, and another guy got together. We went on a vintage motorcycle, and I was on a 1909 Indian 500cc single. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Oh, gosh, it was fun. I, I remember that, that trip so fondly. I that, laughed the whole time. Those have a hand shift, don't they? Well, what you do is you, you hold the... Um, you ride it like a bicycle with the clutch. Well, uh, no, I'm sorry. No, I didn't get that wrong. I, you hold one of the valves open, as I recall. Oh, so of it, course you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. It's been so long. And then once you're pumping along like on a bicycle, you let go of this, and then you go, it's just hilarious. That's, that's great <laughs> stuff. Uh, John, um, in terms of your the, the, the new book that you've um, – you said you updated a previous. Could you tell us? Uh, is it is it readily available on all the the Amazons and other places? And oh, yeah, yeah. and uh, and when when did it come out? And when uh, what do you expect? Um, is it a car book just for for people who have great passion, or could could someone buy it? Uh, maybe a man who has a uh, one rare car and he wants to pass it along to his son or his grandson. What what do you think the audience is for this book? Yes. Because, uh, you know, those things. You know, books are that size. You uh, you pick it up and you look at it one night, and they have a maybe have a glass of wine or a beer, or just sit around and have a latte. Right. And you, you read some section. I get it's called Supercar Revolution. Yes. And uh, you know, so we so we cover quite a quite a long period of time. Um, so that's what I think of it as, and I think anyone you know who in the evening you know gets home from work and and just wants to you know put his feet up for a little bit and relax, it's a great way to dip into it. Uh, you know, for you know, maybe do a chapter a night, and then uh, 
by the time you get all done, you've had a perfectly good time. I love it. I, I, I love books like that. Yes. The book is sectioned by year or how? Um, to be honest with you, I don't quite remember because we finished the book, uh, gosh, eight or nine months ago. Uh-huh. And, um, as I recall, it's done by generation. And so um, because we saw so many... Um, variations as the years went by so i just i just picked it right up now just to make darn sure i know what i'm doing here <laughs> i love that okay I, I love that book i love that opening shot of the uh, dashboard on mclaren yes and, oh and by the way by the way also at carson coffee there's a picture holding on i got such a kick out of this a guy came to carson coffee in a 918 porsche spider and his license plate was not a 917 <laughs> That's fantastic. What a good sense of humor. That I love that. That's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So then it's broken down by, um, I haven't got my glasses on. I, I can sound stupid, but again, this is something that, you know, I've, I've been writing all day long over a variety of Daytona in Daytona in 1979, so my brain's in another part of the world. Yes. So we, uh, so, okay, so in three basic sections, the first section is the first wave, and that was the days of the Maserati, Bora, the Boxer, the Countach, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then we get to the Group B connection. Um, there was a time when they were going to race Group B cars um, around the world, and the cars were sent, they had to ban them because they were so quick. Uh, some people died driving them. But that included the uh, 288 GTO Ferrari, uh, which was the successor of the original GTO, which, by the way, was my favorite car of all time. Um, F40s, Porsche 959s, Diablos, things of that sort. And the Vectors, which are always sort of, you know, status words of tongue or pen, the Vector never done so to speak anyway and then into the modern ones so that's where we get things like the 918 get into some of the hybrids things of that size the 488 gtb they're a wonderful car um one of my favorites of all time zr1 corvette and by the way a real um revelation as far as i'm concerned i'm not both people on the road but the lexus lc 500 is a super nice car what a if, if you ever get a chance to see the interior i'll, I'll bet you'll love it Okay. I believe we drove one, right? Yeah. We, you had one for a week. Yeah. Yes, it yes. was a very nice car. Very, Fast. very nice. Yeah. Um, John, John, that's great. We want to, um, you're just the fountain of knowledge. We could spend the entire day with you and maybe, maybe sometime if I'm in Southern California, um, I'd like to buy a cup of coffee and we can drive one of the cars. That'd be fantastic. And I'd like to zap your knowledge. Um, it would be just great to, to meet you and maybe we'll meet you at the, uh, at Monterey Auto Week uh, in, in August, uh, uh, if you're going to be there again, and that'll be, be nice. I'll be in touch somehow. So, um, you gotta come to the races. okay, okay, great. Um, we want to thank John Lamb for being our guest today on the Weekly Driver Podcast. He's just a fountain of knowledge. Thank you for uh, your time, sharing all of your great stories and journalistically and as an auto enthusiast. It just comes through in your voice. So, thank you very much for being our guest today. We really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, John. Enjoy the day. Cheers. You Thank you. The Weekly Driver Podcast receives support from americantrucks.com, your late model Silverado, Sierra, Ram, and F-150 online aftermarket retailer, bringing you all of the hottest parts from accessories to lift kits, from wheels to tires and winches. americantrucks.com has the knowledge and know-how to make your wildest dreams come to reality.